There was something interesting for all the people that say I'm an Elon apologist, and maybe I am. I do think that there are some clear, there are clearly some still issues that there are some issues at Twitter. Some people think it's remnants of Twitter 1.0. That may be possible, although I kind of disagree with that, and I'll explain why. Then there's also some suspicion. Some people think, hey, maybe there's some some uh, three-letter agencies that still have backdoors to Twitter because there was a pretty coordinated band wave that happened yesterday that I want to call out. Uh, obviously, I mentioned it to Elon on Twitter. There's about a 1 in 10,000 chance that he'll actually see it. But it's worked before. Um, I think that there is some accountability here that needs to be discussed. Colin Rugg, who uh, is a um, banned from Twitter, formerly banned, um, you know, wrote, conservative Twitter accounts are apparently being suspended for speaking out against Zelensky's speech last night. Is the FBI still working at Twitter? And then Elon asks, which accounts? Look, this is always a complicated thing. I feel like I've gotten more outspoken <clears throat> over the over the months as I learn more. It's a tough thing. Like, Ukrainian people, I, I 100% support you and, uh, and pray for a quick ending to this conflict um, so that everyone can, you know, feel safe again. Um, same with my Russian viewers. You're not your government, right? Like, I don't like the Chinese government, but I don't have any problem with Chinese people. Um, and like, so it's it's always an important distinction to make that sometimes people don't stop and and, and really, you know, quantify that. I'm very unhappy with the um, billions of dollars that are going uh, into seemingly the ether uh, with very little oversight, but like the Ukrainian people don't have anything to do with that. The Russian people don't really have anything to do with that. Um, and so I think it's important to like delineate that. Sometimes I'll you know, get in these dunk fests on Twitter with people, but at the end of the day, I, I wish... For the best for the Ukrainian people and for the Ukrainian citizens and the Russian citizens. It's their governments that, you know, that are to be criticized, you know. Um, but I thought it was pretty interesting when a lot of people, you know, this was a very frustrating image to see as somebody who loves this country, the country in which I live. I'm watching uh, Kamala Harris and Jugs McGee trip over each other to gobble the knob of Ukraine in our nation's capital. Uh, it was a embarrassing display for Americans, uh, an embarrassing display for Republicans, uh, the 18 Republicans that would rather sell this country's financial future down the river than have to read the, the, the omnibus bill that they wrote. It was embarrassing for all members of government that they so openly sold out the American people because they wanted to avoid cold weather and they wanted to get the bill passed. Um, and it's, and it's, it's brutal that in a time in which Americans, many Americans are having trouble putting food on the table. Many Americans would like a more secure border that our government is sending hundreds of millions of dollars to other countries to secure their borders. Uh, it's, it's a mess. Um, and I don't always articulate that in the, in the, in the best way, but this is somebody Alex have become uh, uh, friendly with, or I've got to know a little bit over the past couple of weeks, simply tweeting out, Americans, I wish we had leaders who put our country first. Congress, this. He was suspended for this. And I think the important thing to point out is that, you know, for every one person 
you see that gets suspended for this, there's probably 10,000 other people that don't have big followings that nobody even ha could make the noise for. This is one of the things that, you know, I've also been critical of Elon Musk and hoping that he unbans. I understand why you unban the big accounts first. Totally understand that. But I hope he doesn't, you know, stop doing that. Um, and that everyone who had original accounts, I don't care if they had zero followers and they were unfairly banned, they should be allowed back on the platform. They picked that username. They want that username. They don't want that username that they like with the number one after it. You know, that's, I don't want to be the quartering YT on Instagram. I want to be the quartering. You know, that that's just the reality of it. And, you know, Jack Posobiec pointed this out um, yesterday. Twitter has locked Alex for 12 hours for posting a comment about the Ukrainian flag in Congress. Of course, Elon responds looking into it. That tweet doesn't violate terms of service. Right. I mean, I don't, I think that there's this uh, ill-conceived notion, this misconception that Elon's like pressing the buttons all the time. He's not. Uh, but there were numerous popular prominent right-wing accounts that were critical of this just pathetic display of knob gobblery um, by our leaders in Washington that were like, you know, unceremoniously banned. You could see Donald Trump Jr. Twitter deletes Donald Trump Jr. tweet mocking Zelensky with fake spicy President Sun picture. Again, this is one of those things where like there are there's damage in the armor. Because you know, I I knew that it was Twitter was never going to be free speech. I had hoped that it would be freer speech. But here you see the Boston Herald. This is yesterday as well. A tweet by Donald Trump Jr. that mocked Ukrainian President Zelensky with a photo of Hunter was banned, deleted by Thursday. The former president's son posted a fake image late Wednesday after Zelensky received rapturous reception for his address to a rare joint session. Oh, it was great. He had his full-on war hero aesthetic on, his dark green shirt, like he just climbed out of the foxhole. It was just a just a beautiful display that Ben Stiller and um, who's that other lame actor would be completely in love with, Sean Penn. The mashup included, now if it was like, and like naughty bits showing, you understand that. But of course, Twitter removed the image for unspecified violations of terms of use. The tweet spotlights the bitter opposition to helping Ukraine defend itself against the Russian invasion in the mega wing of the Republican Party. This again is fake news. This is like, I talked about this yesterday. Um, who was, who was, who tweeted that? Was it Redheaded Libertarian? Um, where it was like new and yeah, the neocon talking points of new dropped. It's like, oh, if you don't, if you, if you don't support sending, you know, a hundred billion dollars with zero oversight to a country, then you just want global war or you must support. No, I don't support the Russian government invading another nation. But I also don't support our own government putting, I don't know, $30 million for salmon in the bill uh, for funding, for cramming um, the millions of dollars for the Michelle Obama hiking trail um, for a building with Nancy Pelosi's name on it. I mean, did anybody, everybody who's blindly defending this bill, by the way, and I want to be very clear, every time they do this, it's the same crap. It's jam, cr cram, cram jam with pork and it's both sides. 18 Republicans voted for this. 18. 
wasn't like one or two that swung the vote. 18. Mitch McConnell was out there turkey necking about how all Republicans are totally in favor of giving all this money. I'm not against. See, that's the thing. Like People don't have any nuance on Twitter. It's not allowed. It doesn't really work that way. I'm not against helping Ukraine. Not at all. What I'm against is my government printing trillions of dollars every year with no oversight and sending it all around the world when we've got major problems here in our own country. How about all the people that are picking up these little colored pills on playgrounds? How about all these people that are pouring over our border? How about all the military veterans that are on the streets right now? How about all the families that can't afford to put food on their tables? I have no problem. It's just like when you're in an airplane. airplane. The speech is the same every time. In the event that the cabin loses pressure, put your mask on first before helping other passengers, right? We've got innumerable problems in this country, and we're just willy-nilly. Again, I think that there can be a, a, uh, a middle ground here that isn't involving uh, setting $100 billion, dedicating $100 billion to Ukraine when Russia's entire military budget is $60 billion and they're only spending a fraction of it in Ukraine. How many people are getting, how many corporations and companies are getting immensely wealthy? How many people are using, how many quid pro quos are happening right now? It's fully within reason to be criticizing this. And the fact that Twitter still clearly has people around that either work for the three-letter agencies or sympathetic that would ban people, uh, that's very concerning. And I'm hoping that Elon gets to the bottom of that. We have Twitter files from both Friday and early morning today, Christmas Eve, day after Christmas. I want to start with the ones from today because they are particularly enraging, including, uh, you know, we've been no we've we've known that these files existed. We knew that we were going to get the Koof files, the Fauci files. We knew that this was going to happen, but this. So much worse than many people even expected. You see Shibatoshi Nakamoto saying, if this doesn't make you mad, you've been so successfully brainwashed that you can't even see clearly with all the hindsight knowledge we now have. And that is sad. The scientific process doesn't work if discussion, counter-arguments, and debate are silenced. This is a Twitter Files report from David Zwieg. Uh, he's written for New York Magazine, Wired, The Atlantic. Not sure where he's at right now. But the Twitter files, quote, part, whatever. How Twitter rigged the Koof debate. By censoring information that was true but inconvenient to U.S. government policy, by discrediting doctors and other experts who disagreed, by suppressing ordinary users, including some sharing the CDC's own data. I don't, don't, don't forget about the three-letter agencies. We're going to talk about that today too because that got even worse. But it just feels like so many, so many bombshells. You know, it, it's, 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 you know, it, it's insane. So far, the Twitter files have focused on evidence of Twitter's secret blacklists, how the company functioned as a sort of subsidiary 
for the FBI and how executives rewrote the platform's rules to accommodate their own political desires. What we have yet to cover yet is the coof. This reporting for the free press. Okay, so it's for this free press. Okay. Is that Barry Weiss's company? No, I don't remember. Um, I think maybe it is. Anyway, is one piece to that importance. I know Elon's already said that uh, there's more coming. The United States government pressured Twitter and other social media platforms to elevate certain content and suppress other content about the coup. Internal files of Twitter that I have viewed while being on assignment for the free press showed that both Trump and Biden administrations directly pressed the Twitter executives to moderate the platform's lockdown content according to their wishes. At the onset of the coup, according to meeting notes, the Trump administration was especially concerned about panic buying. They came looking for help from tech companies to combat, quote, misinformation about runs on grocery stores. But there were runs on grocery stores. This neither administration looks good with today's files, to be honest with you. You can see the Trump White House, specifically Michael Kratzois, Kratzois, I don't know, led the Trump administration's calls for help from tech companies to combat misinformation. Areas of focus included, you know, cell towers, runs on grocery stores, misinformation that could stoke panic buying. Well, remember buying toilet paper? Remember, you know, remember getting antibacterials? Remember getting cleaning supplies? Remember getting uh, dry goods? It wasn't just Twitter. The meetings with the Trump White House were also attended by Google, Facebook, Microsoft, and others. So let's stop pretending that this is just the Twitter files. Because what's being, uh, you know, what's, what's being exposed here. Okay. Twitter, alongside several other high-tech companies, tech companies, sorry, including Google, Facebook, Microsoft, participated. Activities included standing weekly call to share general trends and hosting a shared Microsoft Teams group. Some of the companies, not Twitter, gathered open-sourced information from researchers. Our teams fed this information to the Twitter policy enforcement teams. When the Biden administration took over, one of the first meeting requests with Twitter executives was on the coof. The focus was on anti-poke accounts, especially, particularly, again, we're talking about a, a United States citizen, I believe, right? Alex Berenson. Biden, one of the first meeting requests from the Biden White House was about coof misinformation per regular process. Public policy took the meeting. Biden staff were focused on the poke, high-profile anti-poke accounts, including Alex Berenson. In the summer of 2021, President Biden said that social media companies were ending people for allowing this type of misinformation. Berenson was suspended hours after Biden's comments and kicked off the platform the following month. Berenson, of course, sued and eventually settled with Twitter. In the legal process, Twitter was compelled to release certain internal communications, which showed direct White House pressure on the companies to take action on one particular citizen. Overall, pretty good. They have one really tough question about why Alex Berenson hasn't been kicked off the platform. Otherwise, their questions were pretty pointed. A December uh, 2022 summary of meetings with the White House by Lauren Culbertson, Twitter's head of public policy, adds new evidence of the White House pressure campaign and cements that it repeatedly attempted to directly influence the platform. Culbertson wrote that the Biden team was, quote, 
very angry that Twitter had not been more aggressive in deplatforming multiple accounts. They wanted Twitter to do more. Twitter executives did not fully capitulate to the Biden team wishes. An extensive review of internal communications at the company revealed often employees often debating moderation cases in great detail and with more than what was shown by the government toward free speech. But Twitter did suppress views, many of them from doctors and scientific experts. That conflicted with the official positions of the White House and our Constitution, by the way. As a result, legitimate findings and questions that would have expanded the public debate went missing. Boy, all the stuff that we know now, you know, people made whatever choice they want to do with their own bodies. When I say like your body, like I'm legitimately your body, your choice. If you got it, you got it. I've talked at length about family members who are high risk that got it. I never looked down on them for that. I never, you know, but like, boy, oh boy, you know, there are a couple of the documentaries that will come out about this. Uh, in the next few years, once we actually have real data on stuff, it's going to be bad. It's going to be bad. There were three serious problems with Twitter's process. First, much of the content moderation was conducted by bots, trained on machine-learned AI, impressive in their engineering, yet too crude for such nuanced work. Contractors, secondly, contractors in places like the Philippines also moderated content. They were given decision trees to aid in the process, but tasking non-experts to adjudicate tweets on complex topics like heart conditions and, and mask efficacy data was just destined for significant error rate. Third, and most importantly, the buck stopped with higher-level employees at Twitter who chose the inputs for the bots and decision trees and subjectively decided escalated cases and suspensions. As it was with all people and institutions, there was an individual and, of course, collective bias. With the coup, the bias went heavily towards establishment dogmas. Inevitably, dissident yet legitimate content was labeled as misinformation, and the accounts of doctors and others were suspended, both for tweeting opinions and demonstrably true information. This is <laughs> like, if yesterday wasn't Christmas, you know, this is pretty enraging. I mean, we knew it, right? We knew it. We watched it happen in real time. But now we have proof. Exhibit A, Dr. Martin Koldorf, an epidemiologist at Harvard Medical School, tweeted views at odds with public health authorities and the American left, the political affiliation of nearly in the entire staff at Twitter. Writing, no, thinking that everyone must be poked is as scientifically flawed as thinking that nobody should. The poke are important for older high-risk people and their caretakers. Those with prior natural infections don't need it, nor children. I mean, this, we know this now, right? This is like a gen, generally accepted fact. Internal emails show an intent to action by a moderator, saying that Koldorf's tweet violated the company's misinformation policy and claimed he shared, quote, false information. He's a doctor. That's not following the science. But Koldorf's statement was an expert's opinion one which also happened to be in line with the poke policies in numerous other countries. Yet it was deemed as false information by Twitter moderators merely because it differed from CDC guidelines. After Twitter took action, Koldorf's tweet was slapped with a misleading label. All the replies and likes were shut off, throttling the tweet's ability to be seen by and shared by multiple people. 
the ostensible core function of the platform. In my review of internal files, I found countless instances of tweets labeled as misleading or taken down entirely, sometimes triggering account suspensions simply because they veered from the CDC guidance or differed from establishment views. A tweet by Kelly KGA, uh, a self-proclaimed public health fact checker with 18,000 followers, was also flagged as misleading and replies and likes disabled, even though it displayed the CDC's own data. Wow, I wonder why. Internal records showed that a bot had flagged the tweet and that it received many, quote, tattles, what a system amusingly calls reports from users, that triggered a manual review by a human who, despite the tweet showing actual CDC data, labeled it misleading anyway. I wonder if that person was a doctor. Tellingly, the tweet by Kelly KJ was labeled and replies to the tweet that contained actual, was a reply to a tweet, I'm sorry, Tellingly, the tweet by Kelly KJ was labeled misleading was actually a reply to a tweet that contained actual misinformation. Whether by human or algorithm, content was that was contrarian but true was still getting flagged and suppressed. This tweet was labeled as misleading even though the owner of the account is a physician and was referring to results of a literal published study. Oopsie! Andrew Bostom, a Rhode Island physician, was permanently suspended from Twitter after receiving multiple strikes for misinformation. One of his strikes was for a tweet referring to the results from a literal peer-reviewed study on mRNA pokes. A review of Twitter logs revealed that an internal audit conducted after, the Bo after Bostom's attorney contacted Twitter found that only one of Bostom's five violations were even valid. Because you had these leftist propagandists working inside of Twitter, and anytime it came down to somebody making a decision, they were just getting in line with what the government wanted. People's lives were likely lost because of this. You know, that's, that, that's just the, the truth. They go through, he goes through some of these other tweets, which I'll let you go through too. You see, another example of human bias run amok was when the reaction to the tweet by Trump. Many Trump tweets led to extensive internal debates. This one was no different. He wrote, I'll be leaving the great Walter Reed at 6.30 day. Feeling good. Don't be afraid. Don't let it dominate your life. We have developed under the Trump administration some really great treatments and knowledge. I feel better than I did 20 years ago. In a surreal exchange, Jim Baker, remember him? Uh, at the time of Twitter's deputy general counsel, asked why telling people to not be afraid wasn't a violation. He was like, hey, how come this isn't a violation? By the way, is that this guy's job? Yoel Roth, Twitter's former head of trust and safety, had to explain that optimism wasn't actually misinformation. <laughs> remember remember Keller, Kelly, K, Kelly KGA with the CDC data tweet? Twitter's response to her is clarifying, quote, we will prioritize review and labeling of content that could lead to increased exposure or transmission. Twitter made a decision via the political leanings of senior staff and government pressure that and uh, that the public health authorities' approach to things prior prioritizing mitigation or other concerns was, quote, the science. What, what might be, what might this, what might this, the COOF and its aftermath have looked like if there had been a more open debate on Twitter and other social media platforms, not to mention mainstream press, about the origins of the COOF, about lockdowns, about the true risks of it in kids. I mean, how many of these kids you see out, outside still wearing masks? 
by themselves playing outside. You don't think that that's having some mental effect on them? And of course, he finishes up with a thanks, everybody. And then he has an expanded version of the thread available over on the FP.com, which I invite you to read at length for yourself. I continue to be shocked, appalled, impressed even at how you can go, how you can have a, the literal book, how you can have such an easy job as to adapt a beloved book series like The Witcher, Andres Sapkowski's, uh, or Sapkowski, sorry, uh, you know, he's given you the blueprint and the release of <laughs> this is the most Netflix adaptation of Netflix adaptations that have ever Netflix adaptationed. The Witcher blood origin was a show that is almost doomed from the start. The writing extremely questionable with hilarious lines, the Mary Sunis, the changing of the literal origin of the witchers for reasons tm the show is getting absolutely lambasted in the reviews even the critics only giving it a 38 percent followed by an eight percent from fans this is the show that really nobody wanted or asked for uh, and they managed to screw it up which is i guess not surprising neurotic sharing their witcher score here i mean you know, if you look at the page 38%, even from critics. Even critics don't like it. The TV equivalent, in a way, of a tangentially related hyperlink that you end up clicking on when reading about something else on Wikipedia. Lackluster, unoriginal, and carried through the promise of better things. The Witcher Blood Origin is a mediocre affair. Michelle Yeoh is wasted. Lenny Henry lacks conviction. And Minnie Driver goes some great narration. What? Anyway, best avoided. This is being received worse than like Batwoman. To quote one of the characters, it's been done to death. I mean, <laughs> largely, I mean, it's not even just the writing. What's getting crushed is the acting. Largely flat performances. Tacky looking video effects, even tackier looking sets, a risable script. Let's stop this bickering and change the future of Elfkind forever. It's more like the battle beyond the stars meets Hawk the Slayer. TV guide. There's very little here that must be seen if you're a fan of The Witcher. And there's nothing that would hook someone who hasn't already checked out the show. Blood Origin feels far too far removed from the stuff that actually makes the franchise interesting and too crowded for any one character to even carry it. Some of the lines, I, I think, um, you know, God bless his soul, heals versus babyface suffering through the show. One of the lines, you know, they literally say, you are the key to everything. He continues with Hollywood hired some effing writers that can, can, can you, Hollywood hired some writers that can effing write? I assume he means can't, you know, 
can we you see this show has is saving lives as it has eternals writing all over it i mean it's it's even the critics you could see polygon which normally likes kind of these like woke reimagine reimaginations of shows that are beloved by fans because they hate the fans and they know the show will destroy the lore why Netflix's Blood Origin changes what we knew about Witchers. And the actual orange origins are disappointing and confusing. I mean, Netflix's, you know, the Witcher Blood Origin is a prologue to Netflix's fantasy series and tells the story of some of its universe's most important events, or at least it's supposed to. The conjunction of the spheres is among the plot lines that crops up in the miniseries, but the most important and perhaps most disappointing is the origin of this series' most important order, the Witchers. Blood Origin shows us the first Witcher transformation, or at least I think it does, but it also changes Witcher lore in a big way that throws into question the whole universe of the Netflix show. Why do this? Either you read it and ignored it, or you didn't or you didn't take any time to understand the actual lore. Now, again, I don't think this show had a great chance of success because of all the negativity surrounding The Witcher right now. Obviously, with Henry Cavill leaving, weird smear attempts. It's like the curse of Henry Cavill. He leaves. I think people are already soured on this show. That wasn't very good to begin with. But it took all the same old, same old, same old approach. Roger Ebert even writes, forget the new Witcher show, play the old game instead. Yeah, I'd say. Despite its undeniable production value, everything about Blood Origin feels minor. There's a romance that's a romance that's bland, despite the charisma of its stars. And Driver and Yo Yeo, I don't know how to pronounce that, is aren't given nearly enough to do. And everything feels like merely a way to tide people over until the third season of the proper show, which will be Cavill's last before Liam Hemsworth takes over. It's as if Netflix looked at the numbers on Christmas weekend for The Witcher and rushed things into production when they learned that season three wouldn't be ready. It's for hardcore fans only, and even they will be bored. Do you know what's not boring? The Witcher 3 Wild Hunt. While the four hours of Blood Origin will barely get you through the tutorial of this massive game, the next-gen updated version is really the better way to spend your time this holiday weekend. Big agree. Of course, The Guardian likes the show. The Guardian gives the show four stars. What? I wonder why. How many times do you think they will mention di diversity in this review? Are you kidding Jack Seal, you really, on Christmas Day, published an article in which you gave The Witcher Blood Origin four stars. It's absolutely mailed in. Drek, a slog, terrible. And ultimately, again, you have bad acting on top of bad writing for Reasons. Disbury writes, I think we found out why a six-episode series turned into four. They're lucky. 10% of this 
is for the first ever gay kiss by two male Jennifer Lawrences. <laughs> They're probably right. You know, I think that, you know, you have here, obviously, people are blaming Lauren Hissrich. I don't think she's actually involved in this show. Pretty sure she isn't. I don't think. People don't like her. I understand why. But I don't think she's involved in this show. I'm wrong. She is. Ha <laughs> ha. Is a fantasy miniseries created by Declan Debara and Lauren Schmidt Hitzrich, adapted from the Witcher book of the same of the name. It serves as a prequel. Interesting. Now, that is a spicy twist because I wasn't sure that she was involved with this. Bringing up an old tweet, writing, "Will I move through the book and start changing people's cultural heritage or ethnic makeup?" Or gender because I'm feeling really, quote, liberal that day. No, that's ridiculous and contrary to what any writer should do. Because we are storytellers, story comes first. Just like the Dragon Age cartoon, they designed the whole show for a single kiss. Yeah, I mean, I think, I don't know. This is just not a great show. It's not being well received. I think people obviously were kind of already turned off to it with all the negativity surrounding the witcher right now but yikes like that's a that's a big yikes now there's been a lot of talk about how henry cavill will exit the show and we're told that he's going to leave the witcher in a heroic fashion fashion and everyone's going to be happy with it i don't know how you replace him but i mean they've done it before in the past i mean they replaced Aunt Viv on, on uh, Fresh Prince. Uh, that's one I remember. Becky and Roseanne. Um, but they weren't like the stars. I'm trying to think of, well, I guess Batwoman. That didn't, I mean, I think Batwoman replacing the star and failing wasn't the reason that failed. So, I mean, it can be done. I don't have any issues with Hemsworth. You know, I think, you know, if people shouldn't hate on him for taking the job because I mean, ultimately he's just doing his job. He doesn't have anything, you know, he's not involved in anything else. He's just trying to do his job. So hopefully people don't hate on him. Um, you know, just for hate sake, even Deserto. Okay. It's passable quasi brutal blore of magic. You'll forget the moment it's done. Just play the Witcher three instead. Ultimately your enjoyment of which of blood origin will depend on how invested you are in the Witcher universe and how convinced you are by the slapdash storyline it presents. D+. Plus. I wonder. Uh, you know. Such a strong trajectory for the Witcher world. The universe of the Witcher. That's seemingly all up in the air right now. Well. You knew that all this bail reform and woke, uh, you know, oh, they did a bunch of crimes, but it's not actually their fault. It's, you know, he stole that TV for old what's his name or um, he broke into that car because of um, his, you know, great, 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 great grandparents had to deal with some terrible things. Well, 
now we've reached peak wokeness and uh you just i mean i don't like to see it i i don't even like feel great dunking on this because it's like who didn't see this coming so there was a bail group that consisted of a bunch of like woke hollywood losers and they are now shut down after being sued for helping with the release of a serial offender who, after being released six days later, almost took the life of a waiter. A California bail reform group backed by A-list celebrities has shut down after being sued for releasing a serial criminal who less than a week later tried to end the life of a waiter in Las Vegas. The bail project, whose supporters include Danny Glover, John Legend and Richard Branson announced it's discontinued its operations due to restructuring in early December. Its closure comes after it posted a $3,000 bond for a burglary suspect, Rashawn Gaston Anderson, in December 2021. Six days later, Gaston Anderson... Uh, <laughs> Fired on Sheng Yang Wang 11 times in Chinatown. In the plea deal, the 24-year-old was, of course, convicted of attempted robbery and mayhem, both with a weapon. Gaston Anderson was sentenced in December to 7 to 18 years behind bars. The waiter, who was struck by seven rounds in the attack at Shanghai Taste, is suing the nonprofit for its role in releasing Gaston Anderson despite his criminal past. Good. Good. There's a reason that these people are in prison, right? The waiter who is also suing Gaston Anderson, who has no money anyway, um, and Shanghai Plaza owner, is seeking over $15,000 in damage from each defendant. That's nothing. He should put zeros on that. Zeros on zeros on zeros. He's got scars all over his body. He can't move his shoulder over a certain height. I don't know how they missed a vital artery. The victim's lawyer said 15K should be suing for way more than that. The lawsuit accuses the bail project of failing to take into account Gaston Anderson's potential danger to the community given his pending and past cases. The following year, he was convicted of felony burglary in New York. And in 2021, he was convicted of auto theft in Illinois. I'm sure all, f- you know, for what's his name or whatever the case is. Clark County District Attorney Steve Wilson told the news outlet in November 2021, he was also arrested for pandering and carrying a weapon. He was reportedly released without bail in order to Stay out of trouble. Oh, is that all it takes? Oh, just stay out of trouble? However, he was arrested again the following day on burglary and theft charges. The repeat offender was then sprung from jail after the nonprofit posted his bond. Normally, when a bail is posted, a cash bail it is a family member or friend who is familiar with the accused, Wolfson told Review Journal. By the way, why is his bail so cheap anyway? In this case, we have an out-of-state national organization 
with little or no ties to our community who puts cash, who puts up the cash for bail, the prosecutor said. The bail project, which advocates against the cash bail system nationwide and provides free bail funds for the poor never registered as a bail agent with Nevada's Division of Insurance, as required by state law. They're going around as a bailing agency, bailing people out with little due diligence, no or little due diligence. Cameron Pipe, a regional director for the Bail Project, called the, the incident a absolute tragedy. You mean one that you financed? The Bail Project, myself speaking for the Bail Project, found it absolutely shocking. Really? The guy had been arrested a dozen times in two years. You really surprised? Every single decision we make at the Bail Project goes through the exact same thorough review. He said when asked whether the group noticed any red flags before posting Gaston Anderson's bond. The Bail Project Deputy General County Counsel Katie Poor told the outlet that the group provides free bail assistance and what we call community release. Okay, so let me point this out. Hollywood actors are funneling money into an awoke agency that injects these criminals back onto the streets in communities where they don't have to live. Seems fine to me. Las Vegas Justice Court Judge Amy Cinelli set Gaston Anderson's bail at $3,000 at the request of Clark County DA's office. According to court records, by the way, that is a criminally low bail amount. He was reportedly one of 51 people who the bail project had bailed out in Las Vegas since February 2021. Of those, 91% returned to their court dates. Well, that's good. It's very high rate, actually. Kaplan Wang's attorney alleges that the USYD Real Estate Investment Group, sounds Chinese, I don't know, is liable for not only for not providing adequate security at the time of the event. Eric Chen, its Las Vegas legal advisor, could not be reached for comment by the paper, a rep for the bail project in Pasadena. Oh, it's in California? Oh, shocking. On its website, the group says it combats mass incarceration by disrupting the money bail system. One person, how are you disrupting it? You're literally just paying it. You're not disrupting it. We restore the presumption of innocence, reunite families, and challenge a system that criminalizes race and poverty. What? This guy was a, 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 a extreme threat to other safety and had proved it nearly a dozen times over a three-year period of time. Emily told the Review Journal that the group accepts referrals from any attorney, including private attorneys, and that it decides by itself whether or not to bail someone out. Gaston Anderson said he needed a co-signer and his public defender referred him to the bail project. I probably wouldn't have been able to co-sign for myself. I'm not from out here, he told NewsAid. Well, now he put seven bullets in a dude just trying to, I don't know, serve tables or something at the time. This is not uncommon. Repeat offender released under bail reform ends up beating a disabled donut Dunkin' Donuts worker. 
sometimes when people keep telling you who they are, you got to listen, right? Like, I'm not saying that, you know, I believe that people can be rehabilitated. But they also need consequences. A homeless man with a long history of harassment, vandalism, and lesser crimes savagely went after a disabled Dunkin' Donuts worker. I mean, again, mental health is an issue. And jail is not necessarily the best case for them. But by this catch and release garbage that these woke cities are doing, New York, Philadelphia, you're putting law-abiding citizens in continual danger. Why? I, I don't even understand why. These people don't live in the cities where they have to release these criminals, I assume. We know that with the bail group of actors. Like... <laughs> I don't understand this. Scrapping bail for low-level offenses has pr proved that you can maximize freedom while not endangering public safety. Has it? I just gave you several great examples of how it does not do that. Now, I'm not saying people who get caught for shoplifting need to get locked up, okay? Or people with mental health issues. But, like, maybe stop literally bailing out people who will go get out of... In, both of these happen within days of being released. It's also pretty sad that his bail was only 3000 bucks in the first place. This other person was just released for free, immediately went out and took it on a disabled Dunkin' Donuts worker. This is from two days ago. This idea that you see NBC News saying, oh, no, it's actually working. No, it's not. And I could pull another 500 examples from this last year from New York City, Philadelphia, where people get low, little to no bail, set and released, and immediately offend again. When people tell you who they are, listen. On Christmas Eve, Matt Taibbi dropped some other interesting files as well as a new poll by Eliza Blue, uh, or data puts out that says 63% of likely U.S. voters believe Congress should investigate whether the FBI was involved in censoring information on social media social media sites, according to Rasmussen. What's interesting is, why isn't that 100%? I mean, I'll take 63, but that's, that's a low number. Should certainly be, I mean, golly, in the 70s at least. It seems like, you know, there is a bit of Twitter files fatigue. I see it in my own viewership numbers. And I think it's because it's like, man, this is bad. Here's a new story. This is bad. Here's a new story. This is also bad. Elon actually had it during an exchange or an interview. He said that basically every uh, theory, conspiracy theory about Twitter ended up being true. And he's not wrong about that. Now, Christmas Eve, Taibbi dropped this, Twitter and other government agencies. After weeks of Twitter files reports detailing close coordination between the FBI and Twitter and moderating social media content, the Bureau issued a statement on Wednesday. It did not refute allegations. Instead, it decried conspiracy theorists publishing misinformation whose sole aim is to discredit the agency. 
They think, they must think us unambitious. It is, if it is our sole aim to discredit the FBI, after all, a whole range of government agencies discredit themselves in the Twitter files, why stop with just one? The files show the FBI acting as a doorman to vast, a vast program of social media surveillance and censorship, encouraging agencies across the federal government, from State Department to the Pentagon, to the CIA. The operation is far bigger than the reported 80 members of the Foreign Influence Task Force, which also facilitates requests from a wide array of smaller actors, from local cops to media to state governments. Now, what we do know is based on the foreign influence intelligency or whatever, intelligence agency or group, they claim that they were always looking for foreign, like state media and propaganda and all that kind of stuff. But they certainly seem awfully interested in Johnny Two Follower from California or Jim Bob Farmer, Farmer Mega Guy with zero followers on Twitter. A chief end result was thousands of official reports flowed to Twitter from all over through the FITF and FBI's San Francisco field office, which we all know ran by Elvis Chan. On June 29th, 2020, San Francisco FBI agent Elvis Chan wrote a pair of Twitter execs asking if he could invite an OGA to an upcoming conference. I don't really know what that means. Original gangster? It also, I guess, stands for other governmental organization or agency. Can be a euphemism for the CIA, according to multiple former, intelli former intelligence contractors. Chuckles one, they think they're, it's mysterious, but it's just conspicuous. Other government agencies, the place where I worked for 27 years, says retired CIA officer Ray McGovern. So he's saying like, yeah, it, they're talking about the CIA. It was an open secret at Twitter that one of its executives was ex-CIA, which was also why Chan referred to that executive's former employer. The first Twitter executive abandoned any pretense to stealth and emailed that employee, quote, used to work for the CIA, so that is Elvis's question. Senior legal executive Stacia Cardell, whose alertness stood out among Twitter leaders, replied, I know. And I thought my silence was understood. <laughs> Yikes. She then passes on one conference details recently hired ex-FBI lawyer Jim Baker. Sunlight conference tomorrow. No need for you to attend. Carnegie is doing all the heavy lifting. I offer to assist Nick and Yol, but there are no academic papers to review or anything. I was involved in the early scoping of the joint project as well. I invited the FBI and I believe that the CIA will attend virtually too. Please let me know. F uh, 15, I invited the FBI, CIA will attend virtually, no need for you to attend. The government was in constant contact with not just Twitter, but with virtually every major tech firm. These included FBI, uh, Facebook, Microsoft, Verizon, Reddit, and even Pinterest and many others. Industry players also regularly held meetings without government. One of the most common forums was the regular attending of the Multi-Agency Foreign Influence Task Force, FITF, attended by spats of executives, FBI personnel, and nearly always one or two attendees marked 
OGA, which CIA probably is what people say. The FITF meeting agenda is virtually always included at or near the beginning a OGA briefing, usually about foreign matters. Hold that thought. Despite the official remit being foreign influence, the FITF and the San Francisco FBI became conduit for mountains of domestic moderation requests from state governments and even local police. You see here, Hystasia FBI Minneapolis requested that I put you in touch with Lieutenant Hoff about some recent activities, which I've provided below. I'll let you two take it from here. And this is just, we don't know, I guess, what they actually said. Many requests arrived via, via teleporter, a one-way platform in which many communications were timed to vanish. I wonder why they use that. Especially as the election approached in 2020, the FITF slash FBI overwhelmed Twitter with requests, sending lists of hundreds of problem accounts. Email after email came from the San Francisco office heading into the election, often adorned with an Excel attachment. Our FBI Baltimore identified these Twitter handles and tweets which appear to provide misleading information. There were so many government requests, Twitter employees had to improvise a system for prioritizing and triaging them. The FBI was clearly tailoring searches to Twitter's policies. FBI complaints were almost always depicted somewhere as a possible terms of service violation, even in the subject line. But what they were really saying was, we need you to take this down. They were not, they were not saying, as far as I've seen, as far as we've seen through all these Twitter files, has there been any like uh, tweets that the FBI reached out and asked Twitter to put back up? Don't think that happened. Don't think we're going to find any times where the FBI was like, hey, um, ooh, yeah, maybe could you put this tweet back up? Twitter executive noticed the FBI appeared to be assigning personnel, personnel to look for Twitter violations. Quote, they have some folks in Baltimore field office and at HQ that are just doing keyword searches for violations. This is probably the 10th request I've dealt with in the last five days. Even ex-FBI lawyer Jim Baker agreed, odd that they're searching for violations of our policies. What do you mean our policies? You're the same company, bro. You work for the FBI now. When they want inconvenient truths removed from your platform, you do it. And you, and you sing a little song while you do. The New York FBI office even sent requests for the user IDs and handles of a long list of accounts named in a Daily Beast article. Senior executives say they are supportive and completely comfortable doing so. It seemed to strike no one as strange that the Foreign Influence Task Force was forwarding thousands of mostly domestic reports, along with the DHS, about the fringiest material. This is Biden using scorecard and the hammer to, you know, the, like, this is like, you know, random website that has two visitors. The foreign meddling had been ostensible justification for expanded moderation 
since platforms like Twitter were dragged to the hill by Senate in 2017. Yet behind the scenes, Twitter executives struggled against the platform claims of foreign interference supposedly occurring on their platform. Because it wasn't. I mean, I'm sure it has happened, but that's not what they were worried about. The Twitter file shows execs under constant pressure to validate theories of foreign influence and unable to find any evidence for key assertions. Quote, found no links to Russia, says one analyst, but suggests he could brainstorm to find a stronger connection, meaning I will lie to find it for you. This is insane criminal stuff. Quote, extremely tenuous circumstantial chance of things being related, says another. Quote, no real match using the info, says former Trust and Safety Chief Yoel Roth in another case, noting some links were, quote, clearly Russian, but another was a house rental in South Carolina? In another case, Roth concludes a series of Venezuelan pro-Maduro accounts are unrelated to Russia's Internet Research Agency because they're too high volume. The Venezuelans were, quote, extremely high-volume tweeters, pretty uncharacteristic of a lot of the other IRA activity, Ross says. In a key email, news that the State Department was making a wobbly public assertion of Russian influence led to an executive, the same one with the OGA pass, CIA, to make a damning admission, quote, Due to the lack of technical evidence on our end, I've generally left it be waiting for more evidence, he says. Our window on that is closing, given that the government partners are becoming more aggressive on attribution. Translation, more aggressive government partners had closed Twitter's window of independence. Other agencies ended up sharing intelligence through the FBI and the FITF not just with Twitter, but Yahoo, Twitch, Cloudflare, LinkedIn, and even Wikipedia or Wikimedia. Former CIA agent and whistleblower, uh, John Kiriko, cow, believes he recognizes the formatting of these reports. Looks right to me, he says, noting what was cut off above the tear line was the originating CAA office and all the copied offices. Many people wondered if the internet platforms received direction from intelligence agencies about moderation of foreign policy news stories. It appeared Twitter did, and in some cases, by the way of the FITF, FBI. These reports are far more factually controversial than domestic counterparts. One of the reports tied to Ukraine, uh, bad guy from WW2 propaganda. This includes assertions that Joe Biden helped orchestrate, you know, everything that something that happened back in 2014 and put his son on the board of Burisma. Another report report asserts that accounts claiming Biden administration of corruption in the Polk distribution are part of Russian influence campaign. Often intelligence came in in the form of brief reports, followed by long lists of accounts simply deemed to be pro-Maduro or pro-Cuba or pro-Russia, etc. One batch had over a thousand accounts, thousands of accounts, over a thousand accounts marked for digital removal. So the FBI and the CIA was just saying, yeah, get these people off your platform. One report says documenting purported right abuses uh, rights abuses by Ukrainians committed by Ukrainians is directed by Russian agents? Huh? Often report, intel reports are just long lists of newspaper tweets or YouTube videos guilty of, quote, anti-Ukraine narratives. Interesting. Sometimes, not always, Twitter and YouTube blocked the accounts. But now we know for sure what Roth meant by the Bureau 
and by extension, the IC. Between the line, and the line between misinformation and distorting propaganda is thin. Are we comfortable with so many companies receiving so many reports from a, quote, more aggressive government? The CIA is yet to comment on the nature of its relationship with tech companies like Twitter. Twitter had no input into anything I did or wrote. The searches were carried out by third parties, so I saw what I saw could be limited. Yikes. I mean, the fact that it extends to YouTube and Twitch and everything else, I mean, I'm not surprised. TikTok has been at the center of a lot of debates here, at least in the United States, about its security, about what happens to Americans' data uh, once it hits China. And it's basically been an open secret that the Chinese are, Chinese, somebody in China is using it to um, spy on Americans. And now they've actually admitted it. In fact, spying on journalists among uh, other people. Some heads rolled, but I still suspect TikTok may get banned in the United States. Um, you see, TikTok now admits to spying on United States users as effort to ban app heats up. TikTok is entering a world of pain right now, having just released a damning report about its own employees obtaining the data of U.S. users. Since the report comes at a time when a key cohort of Americans want to ban the app altogether, you should expect TikTok to become a major political talking point as the 2024 election cycle ramps up. On Thursday, ByteDance, TikTok's parent company, released the results of an internal investigation. Yes, ByteDance confirmed four of its employees in China scooped up the data of two TikTok accounts belonging to United States journalists and TikTok really, really wasn't supposed to do that. The report is emboldening high-profile enemies of TikTok, uh, like Missouri Senator Josh Hawley, whose bill to ban TikTok on United States government devices passed in the Senate a little over a week ago. That bill still needs to pass in the House to become a law, but statewide bans of TikTok on government devices have already begun in Texas, North Dakota, Louisiana, Oklahoma, South Dakota, Maryland, South Carolina, New Hampshire, Utah, West Virginia, Georgia, Idaho, Idaho, Iowa, Tennessee, Alabama, Virginia, Nebraska, and Montana. Whew! Crucially, the report doesn't contain similarly damning details about what was done with the data. Shocking. It likely wasn't printed out, clipped into a dossier, and handed to Winnie the Pooh himself, if that's what you're imagining. It seems instead a handful of ByteDance employees who were on the lookout for internal leakers, managed to find the user data and IP addresses of United States reporters in an ultimately thwarted but demonically clever effort to see if ByteDance employees suspected of leaking were ever physically, physically near journalists. Now, to understand how they get that data is TikTok is collecting your geolocation. They then look at the geolocation of journalists and see if those two ever cross over. This isn't TikTok employees reading your DMs, which a lot of people were shocked that Twitter employees had access to DMs. Like, what did you think? Did you think that employees couldn't see that? But this is even more nefarious. 
They tracked the physical location of journalists to see if it ever intersected the physical location of some of their own employees. Now, that didn't end up happening and everyone involved in the effort was fired, supposedly. But Holly and his ilk have made it clear that they imagine TikTok is being used as something much scarier, a spying apparatus for the Chinese Communist Party, as spelled out to cite in one example, a tweet from Holly's fellow Republican Senator Ted Cruz, in which he notes TikTok tends to, quote, dodge questions about, the, um, about communists and say, it's clear they're spying on users. Well, of course they are. So is Instagram. So is Facebook. So is YouTube. <laughs> I mean, define spying on users. You see new posts announcing in-app browser, see what JavaScript commands get injected through an in-app browser. TikTok, when opening any website in their app, injects a tracking code that can monitor all keystrokes, including passwords, and all taps on the screen. Why would TikTok, TikTok need this data to serve up more dumb white girls dancing to rap music? Right? But this is also an inconvenient truth of all apps, that the way they make money is selling your data. It may be a stretch at this point to say there's any evidence TikTok is part of China's master plan to, I guess, turn Americans communist. Of course, this is a mashable leftist outlet, by the way. I also don't think that's what their quote-unquote plan is either. But it is simply attaining the data, a legitimate scandal in its own right? Absolutely. That's because in 2019, when TikTok was an emerging internet phenomenon, and news coverage about it constantly, consistently contained passages that raised concerns about associations with the Chinese government, its U.S. team rolled out some sweeping claims about their data security. The most important of those claims is that United States user data is kept in the United States and does not go to ByteDance's headquarters in China, which we all knew was bologna sausage anyway. The U.S. team may have thought that when they produced that statement... <laughs> But with Thursday's revelation, the company now admits that wasn't true. And prior reports have intimated that ByteDance cooperates with the Chinese propaganda efforts. At least one of these reports, and for the record, ByteDance denies it, is by Emily Baker White, one of the two journalists ByteDance now admits to having spied on. Another luminary of the anti-TikTok crowd is in the Senate of Marco Rubio. In the Senate Marco Rubio, who has introduced a bill just before the latest report that would ban TikTok nationwide. I don't know about doing that. I don't know how I feel about it. I don't care. But like, I mean, if they're going to continue to lie about <clears throat> protecting United States citizens' data and then be shipping it off to China or using it, I mean, they're using it to spy on the physical locations of journalists. The fact that they would do that for anybody, okay? The fact that as journalists is the only reason these are getting written, by the way. Make no mistake about it. Mashable would not care if it was just Joe Blow Citizen. They don't care. All these quote-unquote journalists use TikTok. Now, Donald Trump tried to do in a unilater unilaterally in 2020, but it was stopped by the courts. In his press release about the bill, Rubio is pretty over the top. We know it answers to the People's Republic of China. There is no more time to waste on meaningless negotiations with the CCP puppet company. 
Rubio glaringly, glancingly alludes in his tweet about TikTok to similar practices by U.S.-based platforms. Indeed, U.S.-based social media platforms do cooperate with U.S. intelligence and help spread positive U.S. messages abroad. Moreover, United States intelligence gatherers, in particular the FBI agents, have openly attempted to instantly search and monitor social media posts and use elaborate data mining schemes to gather intelligence about users. At least one study of user behavior on Facebook in particular shows the knowledge of the spying affects users' ability to feel like they can speak freely, a phenomenon called the spiral of silence. If this sounds familiar, it might be because of the similarity to a well-documented self-censorship practice by members of the Chinese media. Banning TikTok, by the way, is very unlikely to result in TikTok simply disappearing. Instead, it will most likely result in ByteDance recouping its losses by selling it to an American ally like Microsoft, as which almost happened in 2020. In other words, yes, TikTok is doing some sketchy things with US user data, and it may have the power to do a lot more, but banning TikTok or selling it to the likes of Microsoft, a company with a history of also cooperating with spies, would not stop any social media user from being spied on or influenced by intelligence agencies. Correct. But I suppose if I'm going to get spied on, I'd prefer it be for my government. I don't know. That feels like a cope. Uh, that certainly does not, it doesn't feel good, uh, to, to even say that out loud, but I mean, it's kind of true, right? What is China doing with this data? I don't know. Certainly they're looking at it all. They're chopping it up in all sorts of ways. Are all those ways evil and nefarious? I don't know. Probably. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't know. But the only reason making a mistake that there's an article in the Washington Post is because they spied on journalists. TikTok Chinese owner fires workers who gather data on journalists. Now, they've been gathering data on citizens around the world for years. Nobody cares about that. It's once as journalists. ByteDance said its investigation revealed that one former BuzzFeed reporter had been tracked. Forbes reported Thursday that it believed three of its journalists who had formerly worked at BuzzFeed News, Emily Baker-White, Richard Nivea, and Catherine Schwab, were tracked, an assertion that ByteDance disputed. Of course, I mean, of course they were. I don't think there's anything culturally good about TikTok. I could probably say that about most social media, but TikTok in particular seems like it's really, really degrading society. Um, and, and it's just like, how much of this stuff are we willing to just accept for monies, right? If they want to sell it to some United States company and they want to mine the data, I think I'd prefer that. It's sad. It's like the least of two evils. And understand that what they're admitting is probably only a small portion, a fraction, of what is actually collected and has been collected for several years. So consider, about, consider that when you run TikTok on your phone or kids have TikTok you know, how that data is being used. I hope you enjoyed this video. If you did, please make sure you leave a like on it and you subscribe down below. And we'll talk to you again real soon. Thank you.